0: Welcome to Let's Talk About Treks, an episodic review of today's visions of the future featuring Earl Grey and Jack Dorino. This episode, Jack and Earl are doing First Contact, the seventh episode of Star Trek Prodigy's first season. I've learned that we have 20 episodes of Prodigy this time.
1: Yay. Okay. It's wow. phenomenal.
0: So there's a there's apparently a, some story arcs here. So like as we may have mentioned previously, episodes one through four. Well, one, two, three, four, yeah, one through four, which I think is one through five, really, cuz it's five episodes,
1: right?
0: Uh, We're on episode seven, which is really the sixth episode, because we did five episodes, it's just that
1: one was-, was- Episode one is episode one of the two, and two. Yeah. Episode two is episode three.
0: Yeah.
1: Episode three is episode four, and episode four is episode five. Right. So So that's what I'm getting at. Yeah, exactly that. So the first five
0: episodes are a chapter, and then the next five episodes are a chapter, and then presumably we'll do that twice more to round out the season with twenty episodes. Isn't that great?
1: mm Mm-hmm. That's wonderful. This is the sixth episode, maybe. Or, of actually, time, yeah. Or, or the seventh episode. Yeah. I think
0: we're calling it 107. Let's go ahead and stick with 107. It's the seventh <laughs> yeah. quote unquote episode.
1: It is the 824th episode of Star Trek overall. Okay. I think the last arc is actually more like 10 episodes because. You think so? Well, I mean, if we're going from 10. If we're going from six to ten in the second arc, mm-hmm. and then eleven to twenty in the third sure.
0: arc, yeah, that's well. I mean, that's ten ten episodes. Uh, maybe the, I'm thinking maybe they probably just haven't announced the separation of the of the of the last part yet.
1: Oh, because we okay. didn't even and know it was going to be twenty might... episodes.
0: So then now we've learned. Oh, there. This is in two sections. Oh, it's in three sections, and the third section happens to be double the length of each of the first two sections. So it tells mm-hmm. me maybe they just haven't announced it yet.
1: Okay. Well, that's that's highly po- probable. Well, thanks. Do, do they have dates for episode for the next uh five episodes?
0: Sure. Yeah, they're the consecutive weeks. Oh, you know, okay. from now until the end of those. And then likely maybe a a week break or something like that between the next that those and the next.
1: Okay.
0: I saw a tiktok uh, well I saw uh, a tiktok on twitter which I see occasionally of uh, this writer, the writer of this episode Deandra Pickleton-Thompson she had a tiktok where she was waiting for the first episode of television she's ever written to be released and it was
1: wildly amusing I was glad to see it okay do you want to link to that below yeah let's do that okay the, the director of, of this episode is kind of a odd one. Well, not odd. The way they presented the name to us is confusing.
0: Is it? I Oh, I see what you're saying. You're not sure. Because of the um, regional similarity between the names, it's hard to determine whether it's two names or one name. I think it being on two separate lines indicates that it's two names, but it's what Stephen, Ching, An, and Sung Shin hmm
1: Yeah. Okay.
0: So okay. I, I yeah, so I also wonder if maybe the name is in Ching on an, and he's added to Steve as an Americanization. And sort of like a tongue in cheek joke of Steven. You know? Yeah.
1: Yeah. That would be amusing. Yeah.
0: So before we put any feet kind in any of
1: anglicizing mouths. His name. Yeah,
0: absolutely. I'm a, I'm going to think that maybe that's it. That'll be fun. That's that's my fun thought canon for the real world. (laughs) You think that we have reached a time where we can walk through the episode. Yes. They uh, brought back their teaser this week. Welcome back, teasers. We fade back into Star Trek Prodigy on a Starfleet logo variant. Mm-hmm. that's in what i guess is the shuttle bay that we're hopping around and beaming things around back and forth it's got it's sort of ringed with stars and those stars seem to be in a similar configuration to those on the federation flag I don't know oh, if that okay. means anything but it just caught my
1: eye it wasn't on screen for long enough for me to be able to process and notice yeah. those differences and changes I'm glad you noticed that because I didn't well
0: i know you'll you'll be able to take a look next time. Won't that be great? We, uh, (laughs) along with the uh, the Starfleet logo variant, we have a an appearance of the captain's log,
1: all all brought to us by the captain's log. So, Dow mentions
0: that the crew's on edge, (laughs) and everybody's kind of like trying to figure out the mystery, you know, trying to tease out the thing that's been bothering each of them so that they can Mm -hmm. feel, you know, comfortable and okay with life again. And uh, Janeway. Of all, is stymied by these visions of her past.
1: Yeah, that I mean, she she has apparently no memory of them.
0: Yes, was just classified apparently memories of them.
1: Yeah, they've been sequestered, locked away, quarantined. A vast has found a virus. <laughs> Every episode of Star Trek: Prodigy. This one is not
0: an exception. Uh, we learn about. A new piece of the Star Trek puzzle. This week we start mm-hmm. by learning about the transporter.
1: Yeah, they're they're beaming around a piece of pie, I guess. I it's hard to tell if this is the first time they've ever ever tried it, right. or if they've been trying it increments of distance, further and further.
0: Right, I, or if just like trying different things. You know, like beaming something that's warm is seems like an advancement from beaming something that's room temperature because it's got to keep the heat. you would have to like with a living being you'd have to keep the heat also you know what I mean
1: I mean yeah you wouldn't want to transport a living being and have it appear on on the transporter pad ice cold (laughs) at, at zero degrees Kelvin yeah
0: yeah we wouldn't we wouldn't want that at all
1: so evidently the one of the things that Heisenberg compensators does is also maintain the momentum of and the speed at which the particles are moving
0: that's what it does that's what it does there's lots of pieces to the transporter it's it's such an interesting device there's the annual confinement beam there's the heisenberg compensators it has like like phase decouplers and phase reintegrators to take you apart piece by piece and put you <laughs> back together somewhere else instead of just you know you take a shuttlecraft whatever it's cool yeah so as we beam Murph away. Yeah, It was like, we just beamed a piece of pie across the floor, right? So somebody has the ability to beam Murph across the floor. But instead, as we beam Murph away, I guess we're not paying attention to the coordinates or something.
1: I mean, maybe they were just consistently beaming things in further and further distance. And they just didn't think about, oh, crap, that's outside of the ship. (sighs)
0: So I actually thought that maybe Murph was in the transport buffer. Uh Uh-huh. I was hoping we'd get a like a two-for-one where we learn about you know the transporter buffer along with learning about the
1: transporter well that would have possibly been interesting i also thought it was kind of interesting how as the transporter pad revs up that murph got kind of unsettled and scared yeah what do you think that was i don't know because i mean he ate or murph ate uh photon grenades and Mm -hmm. just kind of burped and farted but that's and Murph has been outside of the ship before, but maybe they've never been transported before.
0: Yeah, yeah, and the lack of any other motivation, I think that it's just the weird feeling of having his body taken
1: apart molecule by molecule. Maybe I mean I I've never been taken apart molecule by molecule, so uh, could it ju- just be one of those kinds of annoyance kind of pains that you just tolerate?
0: I think it feels like I feel I think it feels like. You know when, uh, when it feels it feels like your whole body was numb and now it's getting un-numb again.
1: <laughs> you like
0: when your leg like, goes to sleep. Yeah, and it feels like that really intense sleep. Yeah. Mentally,
1: okay. You know doesn't. Yeah, that's, a, that's a good. Had cannon on that. I I appreciate that. Yeah. And they did use a badge, so They do know that they have a tracking device too. Are they locking onto the combat or are they locking onto Murph? Well, they're
0: locking onto Murph, and then they were like they have gave them the combat so they could lock, beam them back if they couldn't find him by his life science <laughs>
1: so. i thought it was kind of cute how the combat settled into almost exactly the same position as it would have on a uniform yeah, i think murph put it there murph just puts everything in murph's mouth Is Murph a toddler yeah but i think he
0: also has control i think murph has control of where things go in in murph's body as well you think yeah i think that's why the combat went where the combat went oh okay yeah so while we're almost done playing with with uh, Murph, I almost called him Worf. Murph and <laughs> Worf. But we're almost done playing with Murph. Uh, Janeway announces a distress call from yeah a Ferengi, mm-hmm. who is who's shrouding herself as if we're not going to know that she's a Ferengi. But I kind of immediately caught on.
1: Yeah, I I did too. I mean, it's like this is definitely um a a Ferengi of some sort. I was. It, it took me just a split second longer to realize, oh, it's a female Ferengu of, of that, too.
0: Sure. So we learned that this is uh, Captain Nandy or Daemon Nandy, whatever you want to call it. It's sort of uh, an equality between the different uh, ranks of the different militaries. It may not be correct to call a Captain Daemon and Daemon a Captain, but we're just going to do it here because it's Prodigy. It's okay. Yeah. So we learned that Captain Nandy is uh, the one who raised Dal. Uh, uh-huh. and it's, it's it occurs to me that it's interesting that Dal knows someone in this sector which is four years travel at warp 9.9 9 from where they were okay yeah so I well yeah this. how
1: did this Ferengi get out out here
0: sure or how did Dal get all the way to the protostar
1: yeah did you also notice that um, the name of the Ferengi Nandy sounds uh, very similar to the term Nanny sure absolutely so so nandy nandy was literally a nanny for dal yeah absolutely so another piece of star
0: trek technology that we learned about this episode is the cloaking device what's new to me about the cloaking device is the implementation of the of the compound known as
1: chimerium have we heard of this previously in star trek i i feel like i've heard the word before but not as a valuable mineral okay or substance.
0: Okay. News to me, but it's apparently something that helps, uh, it, it makes the cloaking device work.
1: Yeah. I mean, that part is definitely news to me. And I didn't realize they had any. I mean, did they collect any in the last four episodes?
0: Uh, chimerium? Yeah. You mean like after the time they dropped everything out of the ship? Well, see, that's true too. Yeah. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> So we, we learn
0: quickly that, you know, there's a little cultural, a little Star Trek culture we learn. then we learn that Ferengi's eat grubs, which is, you know, a quick, a quick learn. We also learn that there's something called the Ferengi's Rules of Acquisition. It's the first one that we visit upon in Star Trek Prodigy is
1: Ferengi Rule of Acquisition number 208. Sometimes the only thing more dangerous than a question is an answer. I, I don't know that I've heard that one. Do you think it's a new one? i think it is i used to own yeah. the
0: uh pocket book i did too the funny thing about the book is it, it was a pocket book that fit in your
1: pocket it kind of did yeah it was uh, a little smaller yeah. and thinner <laughs> it's not nearly as big as they present when they show it on screen
0: for sure um Damon nandy i guess is after the uh these rim light crystal rima light crystals that a species has uh and we know there are going to be some issues because of course, if the species has them and the Ferengi wants them and they have to get the code to someone else to get them to help them to get it, then of course, there's going to be a problem. And of course, the Ferengi's not going to
1: tell us what the problem is. Yep. Because that information is valuable information. So they're going to keep it to themselves. One of the things I was wondering is maybe Ferengi also sort of have a code along the lines of non-interference, but if they get somebody else to do it, it's okay.
0: Yeah. I mean, war is good for business.
1: Yeah, but peace is good for business too.
0: Yeah, so if you can control the levers of both, then you are just doing any, everything that's good for business. Okay. What do you think a Ferengi spit pan is for?
1: What What are you calling a a spit pan?
0: The piece of metal that Captain Nandy wanted to give to the species that has the rim light crystals. It's a piece of metal. Piece of metal from the stars. It was a. It's a. Yeah. Dow said a Ferengi it was a fringy spit pan is what he called it. Really? Yes. Oh. I, I, I guess remember. didn't didn't catch that part, huh?
1: No, I thought it, I, maybe I thought he said a bed pan.
0: Yeah, no, it was a friggy spit pan.
1: Um, maybe or eat so for, they voraciously that they drool a lot and they just hold it under their chin and catch all their drool.
0: It sounds like a bunch of pieces of grub like do you think like maybe just like maybe they don't eat the grub's legs maybe they spit the legs back out it's just <laughs> like a piece of metal that's covered with grub legs I
1: don't grubs don't grubs have that legs leg.
0: that's the joke oh okay <laughs> so we uh we have a, a classic star trek conference lounge conversation we do
1: and oh we yeah do. And the uh, bridge
0: we do because we're talking about well what the hell what the hell do we do so what do we do here
1: um well, I, I guess Janeway introduced us to the idea of the uh prime directive. Huh. I was almost gonna say the temporal prime directive. Yeah, so we <laughs> had a little another another little Star Trek culture moment for the episode, did we? Yeah. Um and first contact guidelines. Um I mean she basically says we we shouldn't be in going down there at all. Which begs to wonder I mean, did the Ferengi already have contact with these people at all in the first place? Because she knew the crystals were down there. Right. Um, although, I guess you could sp- scan those from orbit. Sure,
0: sure. S- s- so then why would she need any assistance going down there if she hadn't already scouted the place and knew known, knew there was going to be a problem? That is beyond me. That's
1: Ferengi yeah. logic for you. Yeah.
0: so the logic is, yeah, of course she scanned it. She knew that there was going to be a problem, so that's why she latched onto somebody she was like oh i need some help because she was trying to trick somebody into coming and helping her steal these crystals don't, don't bring your fake phage babies over here i can see through a fake phage baby anywhere i go
1: <laughs> well and the way she's over it up with the being a nun and the babies and stuff that's like this is obviously fake this is i mean it was so over the top for me that it's like, okay, yeah, no. Yeah. I mean, of course, Dal immediately sees right through it. Well, Dal recognizes his mother-ish yeah. person.
0: So he he does, at one point, I, I claim to trust Nandy. Do you uh-huh. believe him? I, I had trouble believing him.
1: Um, to, to an extent, he trusts her, because, I mean, she kind of did raise him, but then indicating that I mean, we see later on that he, his, quote, bedroom was underneath the engine and kind of a crawl space. And it reminds me of a certain wizard boy being locked under the stairs in the closet as his bedroom. Oh, Dally Potter. Yeah. Oh, I like it. Okay. That's clever. You know, so, I mean, she she trusts, he trusts her only as far as he can throw her. Which I he's he's pretty hefty. He could probably throw it pretty far.
0: <laughs> but he has to catch her first, is the thing. Uh-huh. And that's gonna be difficult to do after we beam down to this desert planet because it's pretty hot and he's gonna need a lot of water. Did he bring a lot of water?
1: I don't think they brought any water with them. I don't think they did either.
0: <laughs> they yeah, they encounter a bunch of vibrations that I I would assume I assumed were carrying some sort of messages in the sand. Mm-hmm. And then that quickly builds into this big old sand swirl. It's a swirling sand dome.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: And uh, we're just awash in sand swirling all around us.
1: Yeah. And again, ah, Zero, when does them need legs?
0: Were there legs or no legs during this?
1: Uh, When they first land the ship and walk out of the front, back of it, the bottom of it. The legs, I'm sure. I think, yeah, no, they had legs.
0: Oh, okay
1: but all, all the time they were on the ship they were just hovering around
0: okay so we use legs when we go somewhere special
1: maybe maybe as in a temporary adjustment to a new possible front fluctuating gravity situation okay maybe this ship is kept at standard 1g earth gravity sea level okay. and various planets could be slightly bigger or slightly smaller so there would be a fluctuation just slightly but whereas obviously most humanoids probably wouldn't notice it the hovering thing might have a little bit of an issue might be more sensitive to it
0: i gotcha my question is about zero yes what does lightning need with a bottle that was my um, william shatner question of the day it's william shatner question of the day That's what that
1: was <laughs> <laughs>
0: so we, uh, Gwen tells us that, that we should use some body language to try to communicate. This quickly doesn't work, but everybody gets sand in their underwear, which is cool. Thanks, Gwen. And then, so they decide instead to calibrate <laughs> their tranks, their tricorders, and the uh, and the sandstorm sort of subsides. Uh, uh-huh. I think they are matching some sort of harmonics, you know, a la Enterprise-D in space, you know, more <laughs> shields, more shields, but instead you turn the shields down and modulate, and then you just sort of ride the wave, is that what, I think that's... What the, reminded me of what happened
1: here. I, you know, I was totally lost on that. Okay. Um, I I didn't get that whole changing your tricorder to, are, are they broadcasting in the harmonics? Or are they I, I think they were. Okay. So. But how are they communicating with those sounds? I think
0: I'm going to currently take an oath to not dig too deep into Prodigy and to see it as a kid's show to think that's what I'm going to do because I think I could there there would be shreds and it would be horrible and it would it would be a mess and I would feel extremely guilty and I think that it was an extra neat thing to see and learn about like learn about harmonics and sand and you know field harmonics so I'll take it that way you know field harmonics equals skeletal sand spire rising out of the desert (laughs) (laughs) that's the piece of science that we learned today
1: well and when I was first watching the episode for the very first time, I noticed that all these long, rock stony structures. Sure. And they reminded me of sarcophagi, sarcophaguses.
0: Like the Klingon of the dead, or just sarcophagus, sarcophagi in Egypt.
1: More, more, yeah, probably more like Egypt. Okay. E- either way, they're 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 yeah, they're containers for. Dead people.
0: The dead. Okay.
1: Um. Or or maybe some sort of uh container for, like I don't know. Maybe could you call the sleeping containers for a uh, hypersleep ship? I mean that that you consider those like sarcophagi.
0: I think sarcophagi are mainly strictly for dead people.
1: Oh, strictly okay. mainly for dead people. But anyway, my the idea that I thought of was that these are where the people are going to be. They're going to come out, out of those. Um, and I, I just thought that they looked like, s- suspicious to me. And I was okay. kind of disappointed when nothing happened with those. Yeah, yeah, they're just,
0: they should turn up be a decoration. they was like a, a harmonic beacon. It was like we were on Parvo again. Wait, par- Parvo. Parvo. Parvo? You mean the disease? <laughs> not, not Parvo. Parvo, you know, the oh, yeah. planet that we did the 133 jumps around in, in another... In another galaxy,
1: you know, another quadrant,
0: far, far away. Oh,
1: I know what you're talking about. Yep. Yeah. But uh, they were—they were also interestingly arranged in like a circle. And Prodigy seems to like to focus in on this eye motif.
0: They do. They do. It seems like a lot. We do. We do the eye again and again and again.
1: Like, like they were doing this—that the circle was that these long stones were making was like an iris.
0: Sure. Absolutely. There's definitely an eye theme in Prodigy. <laughs> it seems strange to me when Janeway was reviewing her own footage, at least the pieces that she get of it that, you know, included a certain Captain Chicote, uh that she they you know, she zooms in on one of the frames and she sees what looks to me to be dreadnought and we just encountered dreadnought just a couple episodes ago so it seems strange to me that janeway's like who is that and clearly i can see that it's dreadnought did you just talk to him a little ago? like didn't you just trick him uh to stay on a planet behind you
1: the thing i thought was interesting first of all and maybe i'm nitpicking a little bit too much but why does a hologram need the other computer screen to zoom in can't she zoom in with her own eyes
0: it's a separate, it's a separate system. And the re- resolution is only so good without zooming in. Okay. When you zoom in, you get a higher resolution just okay. because there's more landscape.
1: I wasn't sure what it looked like. I thought it kind of looked like the Diviners robot guy. Yeah, Dreadnought. Was that what his name was? Okay.
0: Yes, his name is Dreadnought.
1: I mean, it reminded me of other sorts of artificial life form creatures as well. Fair enough. Yeah, I think the,
0: particular eye pattern and the shape of the head is what made me think, oh, it's just, it's Shred Knot.
1: Oh, okay. <laughs> but
0: I guess we'll see soon.
1: <laughs> I guess. Oh, well, well, maybe, maybe it'll, they'll hold it through until the end of the se- se- season.
0: Okay. So, uh, Gwen has determined that there's some sort of trends, uh, was it a cymatic transmutation that's happening around them, which is sound waves that change matter. It's a, uh, it's uh, a, okay. it's also known as acoustic terror molding. These, these are really interesting, exciting new Star Trek terms.
1: Uh, yeah. Um, that I really haven't heard before. So Nandy mentions that the information that she got from Pickpock, his intel is good. What was the intel? What was the intel that she was talking about? That's what I was wondering, is who is Pickpock, and what is it this Intel that she mentions? Oh, what was it what was the context of the conversation? they were they had just been down and the the uh, sand dome was forming around. Oh, them. so it was about it was about what the planet what was going
0: on with the planet and what the structure of the planet was and what was going on in there. Okay. and Pickpock was the guy who was the replacement of Dal, who was basically her yes man. So she probably got faulty information because she forced Pickpock to give her whatever information she wanted to have. To make it okay huh. for her to go there,
1: was Pickpock that little floating cube that's? Oh, I think so. Okay, so there we go. Yeah, the, the we we meet these this new race that uh, Rock uh, excitedly calls the Samuri. Yes, they Simuri. calls them calls them mm-hmm. uh-huh. so. and, Uh huh. And I thought that they kind of reminded me of one of the more magical or ethereal races that you can only do in like the video games because they didn't have the, uh, CGI technology up there yet. So it reminded me of stuff from say TNG, a final unity. Oh, sure. Yeah.
0: It reminded me of those creatures. It reminded me also of the creatures that we encounter at
1: the end of the movie, the abyss. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, it certainly doesn't look like the, uh, water tentacle, but the, yeah. Oh yeah, not the water tentacle
0: ones. The ones at the very end, because if they they had mm-hmm. like ones that were solid, they could, they could manipulate water into being like a solid. And then like at the very end, once they like moved the ship, or we, like just before they moved the uh, the underground investigation barge up to the surface, they like yeah. you know, showed themselves, and they were this whole like floaty sort of like yeah. brain neuron <laughs> looking sort of creature. Yeah. Yeah. So we do learn that the uh the crystals are the source of the psionic energy that the Samari are using. Right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so Nandy tries her little Ferengi spitpan trade, and, <laughs> and they lovingly and blessfully and blessingly give her a song in return, a beautiful song. Yeah. But she's uh, of course a ferengi. Yep, yeah, she's just gonna take she yeah. doesn't
1: accept or understand the value of non-substance objects yeah, and
0: you can't can't pass it. can't can't make any money off
1: of it yeah there's no value so she just up and totally r- rips one off literally in this yeah, case
0: yeah tears it right off of the little tendrils that are trying to uh help adira connect to tall wait a minute
1: oh <laughs>
0: right, so this is when we learn uh rule of acquisition number 21. yes never place friendship above profit
1: I think that this is definitely a one that we're we're already familiar with.
0: Yeah, I've definitely heard the number 21 never flee us absolutely. That's a that's definitely I think it's a Dominion War based one, I'd like yeah. to say. I could be wrong, but it's definitely a deep space nine. Yeah.
1: <laughs> um and Nandy then pulls out a, a Klingon disruptor. Yeah. And just decides to answer everything with a weapon. Yeah, it's Fire. a, it's a, yeah, it's a Klingon disruptor and slash tunnel maker. <laughs> I guess
0: <laughs> because she blasted a tunnel with the with the weapon, and then ran into that tunnel that she blasted. So then, uh the resonance that's holding the structure fails because you know the crystal that's part of the yeah. structure and is so important as important as the rest of the pieces. So the place starts to fall apart, and mm-hmm. which is when, uh, which is when we we. We have a little fight between Dal and his mom over the episode of the MacGuffin. I mean, the crystal.
1: <laughs> yep, totally a MacGuffin. And at one point, uh, Nandy bites Dal. And I would have figured, I mean, Frankie have some of the nastiest teeth of all the races that we've encountered in Star Trek.
0: Yes, and they sharpen them. They do intentionally they, sharpen them. Do
1: they sharpen them? They do sharpen them. Well, they, they have Frankie tooth sharpeners. Yeah, they do. And, and you gotta wonder, I mean, that's gotta be a worse bite than even a human bite.
0: Yeah, he's probably gonna need some disinfectant.
1: <laughs> he's gonna lose a hand.
0: I mean, it's just like, I mean, maybe grubs are very like, antiseptic.
1: <laughs>
0: Who knows? We, we learned that rule of acquisition number one during this episode. It's called uh,
1: Which one was that?
0: Once you have their money, never give it back.
1: I uh, Yeah, that's kind of a nasty uh, rule. I mean, I was just thinking about that the other day when I had a product that came to me from the store, supposedly brand new, and it was damaged on the inside of the package.
0: Once you have the money,
1: never give it back. Well, I mean, I don't need my money back. I need- (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I need my thing. Dow likes to distract people emotionally so that they're distracted in in battle. And she let slip that she sold Dow for a, a new partner yeah. and to to somebody else. This is where I think that whoever she I don't think she directly sold Dal to the Diviner. Right, his, because
0: she hadn't met the Diviner previously. Like at the yeah. beginning of this episode, doesn't she reach out to the Diviner? Or is it the end of this episode at some point? Oh, at the end of this episode she reaches out to the Diviner yeah. and yeah. apparently hadn't met him before. Yeah. So it wouldn't be her that she must have sold him to somebody who eventually sold him to Del. So Dal's, a, I mean eventually sold him to the diviner. So the diviner's like child trafficking ring.
1: Oh, okay. Administrator,
0: apparently. Child labor trafficking ring.
1: Yeah, I, I get it. So Nandy Nandy's
0: about to pop off and she runs back into her marauder, which is a weird size because as she gets in and the hatch closes, I'm looking at the windows and the windows are like, wait. The windows are about the size of her what her hands should be. In that shuttle, the way that she appeared to get in, maybe I was just off in my, you know, aspect ratio.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: Who knows? Thankfully, Dal stuck a tracker a tracker in those those stolen crystals, and uh, guess what?
1: They they beam back the the tracker. They get their crystal back.
0: Yeah, they get the crystal back. Did they did they beam their chimerium back that was stolen?
1: They didn't indicate that? But yeah,
0: I they certainly didn't indicate it because after it all happened, they were like, Oh, we don't have any chimerium. Like what? Let's just beat but it
1: back. They they all yeah. Nandy stole the chimerium earlier in the episode off screen. Mm-hmm. Um and the chimerium is a smaller I mean I think that the I think the combat can only really Beam back the thing that... The one singular thing that it's attached to. Oh, no, no, no. I mean, like, once you find... Because you... It's a tracker, right? So you can...
0: You can find her ship by tracking it with the comm badge... And then find the chimerium aboard the ship and beam that back. That's what I'm getting
1: at. Okay. But... I guess I was thinking... That you can find that specific crystal with the com badge. You don't need the com Because you have sensors... You can sense where her ship is at. And she didn't warp away yet. Why
0: well, they need the combat at all then? Because they should have just been able to scan for the, the that combat... kind of crystal on the ship if they knew where the ship was.
1: Uh, Because reasons?
0: Oh, okay. Well, I mean, it's they, a, it's a special did... property of the Laracat crystal. What is it? A Naracat crystal? A Laracat? John Laracat crystals. <laughs> Join us this week for our new selection of John Larroquette crystals. <laughs> Only on Star Trek Pride.
1: You named them earlier. Um, yeah, they're John Larroquette
0: crystals. Hello. I'm... Are you looking up the... Are you looking up the yeah, i looking up their looking up, name. Oh, they're called Rimalite. Oh, okay. Yeah, there's two of us here. You don't have to do everything by yourself.
1: <laughs> I think they were trying to mimic some other things that have happened in Star Trek. To keep some sort of weird continuity with needing a com badge. Okay. I mean, I get it.
0: Like, for the story, sure. Yeah. But, oh, I forgot. I'm not supposed to be closely inspecting these things. Yeah. I just let it be what it is. Uh, Janeway scolds the crew for coming in like marauders
1: (laughs) and breaking
0: the prime directive. Yeah. And actually, everyone kind of feels really badly. And for once in his life, Dal admits that he was wrong.
1: Mm-hmm. And I
0: think yeah. this marks, uh, sort of like some incredible growth for Del. Mm-hmm. Just depending that he was, he was wrong. So Gwen takes this opportunity to, uh, to relate to Dell and sort of like become closer. It's that thing where like something happened to me and then like, it sort of happened to you. So we could talk about it because, you know, yeah the diviner kind of sold out gwen for the ship and uh and nandy kind of sold out dal for a different partner
1: i suppose well i mean nandy was a mother figure to him and she just got rid of him yeah when he was no longer of any use she threw him to the wolves yeah or the
0: the last of the the, the, the diviner species
1: Oh, right, okay, yeah. yeah. I, I guess she literally did that,
0: yeah. Mm. So Nandi's mother box, which I think mm-hmm. is pickpock, tells her that uh, the Diviner will pay for the ship in what should have been a post-credits scene. It definitely should have been like, oh my gosh, you know, we've been betrayed and we learned something and then the credits happen and then we have this scene, right? Mm-hmm. Like it should have been like a yeah. post-credits Marvel scene where she talks to the Diviner.
1: The music there i thought sounded reminded me was reminiscent of um like the map room theme from raiders of the lost ark or Uh maybe the reveal scene of the ark itself during raiders uh Uh, i thought it was very interesting the connection there because they're like oh here look here's that i mean they definitely identified it that way as yeah
0: i think it was supposed to be echoes of the same sort of thing to like give us a sense of you know a familiar feeling of that kind of thing happening uh-huh Echo.
1: well and we finally get a good reveal on that purple being in the cage in our cargo bay yes what is it i mean it looks like a cat what, what is him it? just a cat i mean it looks like a felinoid of some sort of feral quadruped felinoid i don't know exactly what it is i don't think we have a name for it but okay i'm gonna call it a cat <laughs> yep, a purple cat. How how did the uh, Diviner send a message 4,000 light years? Subspace. I guess there would be a delay. Yeah,
0: yeah, there would definitely be some sort of delay. At least in our current understanding of, like, communication technology. Maybe they've invented the Ansible by by now.
1: <laughs> the Ansible? Yeah,
0: ladies and gentlemen, you can mark off Ender's game on your bingo card.
1: Oh, right, I remember those now. Yeah, there we are. I see. Seemed- Familiar. Yep. So we get our post credit scene before the credits and then we go to the credits. Yes, we do. We learn in the credits that uh Nandy is played by two people. Is she? Why? I don't know. Huh. Because there's one credit is listing Nandy slash frail woman, and the other one is just listing Nandy.
0: Huh. Interesting.
1: One of my favorite voice actresses, Greg Griffin. Mm-hmm. Played the voice of just Nandy, and I'm not sure how to pronounce the last name of the other performer that did the Nandy slash Frail Woman, but it was Melissa. I apologize for butchering her name, Vilesenor Vilesenor Via Maybe
0: is it Via Senor Maria Via Senor? I don't know, could have been Maria. Senor? Maria. Maria, why do you solve a problem like Maria? How do you do it? Huh? How do you solve a problem? Never mind.
1: Yeah, that's. uh Well, you know, I mean, I just met a girl named Maria. Did you? Maria. Oh,
0: please tell me about her.
1: Oh, that would be Melissa. No, never mind. Oh, darn it. I just met a girl named Melissa. And that's that was that's pretty much the credits. I don't have any other comments. Yeah,
0: on... I, I. Uh, so next episode is one that's called "Time Amok," which is oh, actually a a word for word reversal of an original series episode called "Amok Time." That's the one. gonna <laughs> there, be any Vulcans in this episode?
1: Who knows? That would be interesting because people how are gonna who have are Vulcans in the future, in the
0: huh? People who are in the future.
1: Yeah. Well. It certainly sounds like it could be a uh, timey wimey episode. We shall certainly see. You know, I heard that Alexa was going to make a trip around the moon
0: in the next couple years.
1: Yeah, somebody was telling me about that. I think
0: our one of our producers like like, like uh piloting the the rocket that goes around the dark side of the moon. Okay. Because we're finally going to go and check that out. Is that maybe? Yeah. What if what if Alexa goes back there and Alexa's like. Hello, can I help you? And they're like, <laughs> <laughs> well,
1: the, or, or they find the uh, secret Nazi Russian. I'm sorry.
0: Secret Nazi <laughs> war machines the, on the, the dark side of the moon.
1: The secret Nazi slash Soviet uh, base on the dark side of the moon. What if they find? Which of course is hollow, and it's not a moon. It's a space station. It. What if it's just? Yeah, they just find scaffolding on the dark side <laughs> of Yeah, that'd be that's going to be interesting. Are they going to use the uh, uh, SLS? Rocket? You know, I I am unsure. It, okay.
0: But they're going to use a piece of the same the same uh, machine that's going to take uh, people back to the moon to land.
1: In, oh, okay. So the. Uh, yeah, the Artemis, uh, Moon. That guy. Yeah, for the Artemis missions. Maybe that's the, the one's. I think the first launch of SLS is going to be this year. It's going to be in twenty twenty two. Yeah. Which we are in. I well, I think that's, that's it. it. I
0: think we, yeah. think we, uh, we think we got there. I think we're about to fumble it. So let's let's go
1: ahead and close the show before uh, before we do so ladies and gentlemen we're gonna introduce ourselves at the end of the show this time hey i'm Jack Torino and you've been listening to earl gray mm-hmm. And yeah, i
0: think you should you should dream
1: dream and oh dream sickle your popsicles yes audience, please uh or audience <laughs> the audience, yeah, because it's a better it's, term
0: than it's that. mostly mostly cats that listen to us mostly <laughs> cool cats cats
1: <laughs> fast cars well trekkies d- stay positive dream big and we will you'll hear from us again soon we will
0: see I'm- you next time <laughs> support Game the up. continued making of this <laughs> show through patreon.com <laughs> Let's Talk About Trex is a production of Anodyne Relay supported by the Star Trek fan community of listeners like you. We review the copyrighted works of Paramount CBS's Star Trek team, of whom no copyright infringement is intended. You can reach us via email at email at Let'STalkAboutTrex.com. You can leave us a message at area code 202-804-6312. Our producer is David Moody, and our writers, Jack and Earl, are on Twitter as and would greatly appreciate the obligatory like and subscribe from wherever you're listening now. We record on Lenovo computers with Zoom mixed with NCH Mixpad and master with Kako's Reaper. Our intro, outro, and interstitial musics feature
1: samples from Awakening by Waterboy from Pixabay.